Dish Bites, discussing Milwaukee's culinary and restaurant culture. With Ann Christensen of Milwaukee Magazine and Tariq Moody of 88.9. This Bites is brought to you by Society Insurance. Welcome to This Bites, Milwaukee's culinary podcast with your host, the goddess of food writing critique, the lovely, talented Ann Christensen of Milwaukee Magazine, and me, DJ Tariq, a.k.a. The Architect. We're going to talk about uh, a few things. We have some sad news about some restaurants permanently closing, unfortunately. We also have some sad news about certain events canceled. We get into that later. Um, there's some silver linings to one of those events. Um, we have some good news. Glorioso will be back on June 2nd. we got details about what they're doing. Seems really cool what they're planning to do. Uh, and then we have a cookbook a week. And then we're also going to highlight some of the winners of the James Beard Media Awards. Really cool stuff that just got announced the other day. Before we talk about the highlight is your story, uh, your headline is, I watched Milwaukee restaurants pivot during a pandemic. It gave you hope, which is a really cool story. I wanted to share with you, Anne, that I uh, spent time mastering my dim sum making skills. Mm -hmm. So uh, a friend had a birthday. Kind of wish I didn't share it with her because of how how great they turned out. But anyway, it was her birthday. I made these uh, fried shrimp balls, which is all my favorite dim sum item, which basically took the shrimp, you mixed it up. Blended them with uh, some sesame oil, egg white, a little cornstarch. Uh, I had a whole bunch of chives. Then you like mix it up, let it sit for a minute, created balls, and then I wrapped the balls in these uh, spring roll wrappers. So I s- used scissors, cut them into strips, and like turn them into a little cool little ball, and I deep fried them. Oh, yum. And what's cool, I realized why they put them in cornstarch, they expanded. So I, the ball started off like, you know, the raw mixture sort of like maybe an inch in diameter, yeah. right? The cornstarch kind of expanded them into a bigger kind of a meal. And I can see that's that's very creative. That's food science right there. Uh-huh. Um, then I made these steamed chicken buns, um, which is also my favorite. So I made the filling from scratch. I actually made the dough from scratch. I've been doing a lot of dough lately. I don't I don't know how you do it. My I, I, I said it on Facebook that who needs a gym when you can just make dough all day? An upper body workout? Yeah, my back was killing me. Uh, I was just sore from dough. I mean, it wasn't like an intense dough making. I just, I don't know. I like every week I've been making dough. Yeah. I, it is relaxing, but it is kind of like, man, it's a lot of work, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but I made these steamed chicken buns, had my own little steamer. The filling was chicken thighs, cabbage, sesame oil. I took dry shiitake mushrooms, soaked them in hot water, chopped them up in there as well. We also had more chives, a little bit of fish sauce, a little bit of this chicken bouillon powder, mixed it all together, put it in the dough, steamed it. I didn't know what it would turn out to be, um, but they turned out much better than I thought they would be. I have never made chicken steamed buns before. Um, and Laura, my, my friend, I made it for birthday, loved it. And like, you got to make more. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of work. <laughs> and I'm messy. As a, I'm a messy baker. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a good, clean cook. But the flower thing, man, like I like changed two shirts, like flower just everywhere. I'm like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cleanup involved. Here. Yeah. She's like, dude, baking, man. I got mad respects for bakers. Uh-huh. Anyway, let's talk about your uh, feature story. And, um, yeah, over on Milwaukee magazine about, uh, I just love it. Give me hope. So talk about what gave you hope for Milwaukee restaurants during this pandemic. Well, first of all, I wanted to say that is a story that's running in our May issue. But I was writing, or I wrote the story just in the first couple weeks of um, our quarantine. So this was back in March. And I mean, you know how everything went down 
and how suddenly things just changed, right? Mm-hmm. Everything just closed. And I was, I, you know, remember seeing so many things I thought I would never see, you know, like every restaurant closing its doors for, for in, in service for you know, dining service in their dining rooms, you know, completely gone, right? Bars closed. You know, I just remember just feeling shock and, um, you know, talking to some restaurant owners and being like, well, what are you doing? What are you going to do? And, you, you know, everybody was sort of like trying to figure it out. And many were like quick on the draw and, and starting to do curbside. Um, so everybody was like, yeah, we got it. We got to, we got to figure out a model, a way of doing that, you know? So I was seeing that. And then I was seeing like, there were restaurants that initially said they were going to have curbside and then they didn't or couldn't, you know, like all the bar, a lot of restaurants closed completely. Um, the Lowlands group restaurants closed completely. And um, so then I was just like, wow, what the heck? And we didn't know how long this was going to go on. Right. I mean, we didn't, I mean, we knew what this, this, uh, the, the safer at home order, and then it was extended. But I mean, really, it was like, uh, could this go on even longer, you know? So I just remember sort of like reaching out to different restaurants that I was just really con- extra concerned about or just wondering, like, you know, for instance, Three Brothers, like, how is Three Brothers going to operate? You know what I mean? Without their. I mean, it's such a unique type of experience, um, and it's a family-run business as well. Uh, and you know, I mean, a lot of restaurant owners were just like in mourning, you know, and have been in mourning. Um, and so, three brothers, um, Milunka, the owner, or one of the owners, she's the daughter of Bronco. Uh, you know, she was trying to do curbside and they're doing curbside again now. Um, but then they switched and decided they were going to, you know, close that part of the business and, um, do some of the community meals or contribute to some of the community meals that the tandem is doing. So that comes up in the story too. Um, how that, you know, we've talked about this, how, you know, Caitlin Cullen, the owner of tandem, um, essentially when, within those first couple of days, you know, decided, you know what, I want to feed the community because there's a lot of people that need to eat and, you know, they're going to go hungry because mm-hmm. they don't, they don't have access to food and they, and, and they can't, they can't pay for it. You know, people are really suffering. So it gets mm-hmm. into that too. Um, so I think, you know, there was a lot of things going on that were, really scary and are continuing to be really scary because, um, it's, it, it started to become really clear that our restaurant scene is never going to look the same, quite the same, you know, again, even as things mm-hmm. are starting to open up, um, you know, there's a lot of questions about how, you know, there's, you know, many, many restaurants, I would say the majority of restaurants have not, um, you know, opened their dining rooms in any capacity yet. We're just starting to see some say that they're going to do that. Um, but you know, when we're talking about tiny little dining rooms where people are kind of stuffed in there and tables are close together and, 
that whole cozy environment that we used to love so much isn't the type of environment we can we can be in right now, you know? So those were some of the things that were happening. But the idea that things can come back, but they'll just be different, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're people that are just going to mm-hmm. change the definition of what restaurant dining is. And that's okay. I mean, there's a lot of really creative, innovative people out there and really great chefs that are that are going to make it, they're just going to have to change what they do. Their restaurants are just not going to be what they were before. And that is sad, but at the same time, we have to have hope. And we can have hope for what they're going to be. Um, When we come back, I'd like to ask you, like, what do you think your thoughts on going forward? Like, what's the dining scene going to be like? And we do have some talk about you know, some restaurants, yeah. we have some news about some restaurants are permanently closed now because of this. But we'll get into that later on this uh, episode of This Bites. We'll be right back. Nonprofit Radio Milwaukee is brought to you by you. A membership contribution is your personal commitment to music and Milwaukee. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org to check out your donor benefits and the thank you gifts to show off your 88.9 pride. We're back with Anne, myself, Tariq. We're going to continue our conversation uh, about your story uh, about the this pandemic, how it affected the restaurant industry, probably more than any other industry in the country, just because of the nature of restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. It's physical, it's, it's connective, it's social, and they've been hurting, right? And you see a lot of potential hope, and they're, they've been pivoting, they've been adapting. But I guess my question is, like, do you think will we ever be back to where it used to be? Like there's been commentaries like restaurants are never going to be where it used to be. We got to rethink how restaurants do business. Do you think that really is going to take place? That restaurants are going to change how they do service from now on once this thing is officially really pandemic is put to bed. I mean, do you think we'll ever get back to the days of, you know, packed dining houses, restaurants, reservations and all that? Um, I think so, but I, I'm one of those people that would say, I don't think that's going to happen until there's a vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I just, I just think it's too risky. And you know, who knows what's going to happen? We may end up. I don't. I, I mean, with things opening up, you know, we may end up things having to close down again. I don't know. None of us knows what's going to happen. But I think. I, I just have a hard time seeing anything go back to normal anytime soon or what was our old normal. And the curbside, which I do, I support. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how restaurants, you know, financially operate and budget, but is that even sustainable? Because I was reading like the whole dining operation, how that works is how they make their money. Yeah. And this whole curbside thing is, you know, it's great and all, but I'm just curious how long it can last sustain when you have, you know, bills and rents. And yeah, I think there are some restaurants that can sustain it. And, and, you know, those are certainly ones that, um, that, that they would get a lot of their, a lot of their income was coming from carry out or delivery anyway. Um, yeah, but I don't think a restaurant that, 
um, the majority of their, I mean, their, their existence is, is, um, relying on that dining room. And that's, that's essentially what they do. You know, you take three brothers, for instance, as I mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, three brothers is a good example or Sanford or someplace like that, where, you know, that's not a restaurant that you're going to really get takeout from normally. Um, you want that experience. Right. You want that 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 uniqueness that Sanford or Three Brothers offer. What makes them very special? Yeah. So I don't I don't know how how that that curbside model is is going to be profitable going into the future. There's got to be some sort of change in the way the whole restaurant model is developed, defined. It has to evolve into something different, I think, in many, in many restaurant cases. You know, what'll be interesting this summer, Tariq, is that maybe the tiptoe into this, into dining with people, you know, around other people and in, it's not going to be in the restaurant, but on the restaurant patio, because I can see that being the first step into something, something relatively normal in the sense of, you know, in the summertime, that's what a lot of people do. They sit out on restaurant patios and dine, right? So I could see that operating pretty well, as long as those those tables are spaced out enough. And we're talking about social distancing. And there was a lot of articles about that. That which was it alfresca. Is that what they call it? Dining. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that all also, you know, that's all dependent on the weather too. So you're controlled by sure. elements that. You know, and some dining places don't have the luxury of having a space to do that, right? That's an excellent point too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's time. I mean, I think it's a good time to think of innovative ways and figure this thing out. And I think there's some people trying to do that. I'm worried. I, I, I will do my best to support restaurants. And I love what Sanford and Three Brothers Sanford's doing some amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, but I always like the, I have not had a chance to like dine in. And I still want that experience of dining in. Mm-hmm. And I hope, you know, I don't know. It's it's interesting, you know. And another thing, a lot of restaurants also make a lot of their money back in booze, right? Of course. And some places can do the tuck cocktails and stuff. And maybe the laws need to change policies. I'm thinking maybe policy laws need to change to help these businesses out, right? I see other states and cities offering delivery for cocktails and stuff to try to change. And I think Wisconsin, um laws might need to change for to adapt to these times to help these restaurants to be sustainable mm-hmm. to help them grow in in this new normal as they say um i know there's places doing beer deliveries in another state and stuff for the craft breweries to help them out right um but again is that that social experience and maybe there's a combination i know milwaukee's doing these active streets maybe the active streets should be along where restaurants should be right oh, yeah i think they and, then, and that makes that maybe the alfresco be bigger and then then restaurants can share the open space and get more people at least during the summer months yeah. here in wisconsin i think it also involves how cities might have to change and how to de- how we develop buildings that's absolutely right Tariq. I, and i think you you're touching on like an anthropological um and sociological uh part of this that absolutely societies communities have to change i think that's those are excellent points absolutely because i like i mean i don't go to bar but i do enjoy going to a bar like i do there's something about it even being an introvert but i'm personally 
scared to go to a bar. You know, that's just me personally. Yeah. Um, but we got to look at that as well. So that's, it's, it's, I think it's not just, a, it should not be on the restaurants to figure this out. I think this involves business leaders, government policies, all those need to figure out, not just in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, but all over the country so we can bring back these great food, these great restaurants, these great chefs to do what they do best, right? Excellent point. It's a deep conversation. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation I think it needs to be have and needs to be taken seriously, needs to be taken up to different leaderships to look at how do we, because Jose Andres just said, like, he said it best in, in a CBS interview, restaurants are the lifeboat of this country. They're not just serving food. They supply so many industries, right? Yeah. They, I mean, it, they, it, it's, it's a chain effect. It's not just, oh, this restaurant's hurt. It's not going to help affect anybody else. It affects a lot of people. You'd be surprised how many people are affected by the restaurant industry on, on, on an economic level. So Yeah. I think it isn't just up to the restaurants. You're absolutely right. Um, however, you're also, I'm also finding, and you're hearing this too, that small businesses like that are just not getting a lot of help. They're not getting um, the aid they need. And so, you know, um, it's up to them or they have to, they've had to, to figure it out on their own because there's nobody helping them. And that, that is a travesty in, in, in my opinion, some, you know, they should be getting some kind of government aid and, and you're absolutely right. Jose Andreas absolutely coined the the right phrase when he said they are the the lifeblood of our society. Uh, so, you know, if we are to lose that, we're losing a huge part of ourselves. To me, it's food and restaurants. What make this country great, you know, on a lot like, I get to learn about people's cultures. I get to learn about, I get to meet different people. Like those are the, like an artery, like a critical vein like, of this country. But you know, if that, if there's a clog in that artery, it's not going to be an easy one to, to put a stent in, you know what I mean? It, it, no. It's going to create a lot more work than that. Um, yeah. So I don't know what it's going to take, but I, I know the restaurants can't do it alone. And I know we need our leaders on aspects of all public private government needs to look at this and work together to figure it out because it's going to be a while before we see you know restaurants be sustainable yeah. you know it's because it's already tough enough to run a restaurant when it's normal right and so anyway we can go a long time on this and we're not trying to solve anything with this but uh thought we wanted to highlight it you know especially now when people are opening it up and cuz you don't know you're right this, this pandemic can come back in the fall and shut everything down again and be even worse, right? So yeah, I think it's a time to really have these serious conversations and not just brush them under and like, oh, everything's back, we're good. And we got to think differently. So Yeah. Speaking of people thinking differently, um, Glorioso. Yeah. Um, they've been closed since the beginning of this pandemic. Yeah, back in March. And they... And they announced on their Facebook page a few days ago that there will be back, but not in the way you think they were. They're actually doing kind of a couple of things differently. So starting June 2nd, they'll be doing offering two types of services. The tie-in market, their doors will still be closed to the public, but you can do online grocery ordering through their website at shop.gloriosas.com. We'll go over what you can get over there, just some of the things. You can get a lot of things. It's cool. But you can do curbside pickup, or 
excuse me, delivery options starting June 2nd. Store hours will be Tuesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Then the other service they just will be launching on June 2nd is Glorioso Express, which will be opening in there in the space across the street from the market. 1016 East Brady Street. Same hours. Uh, you'll be able to pick up essentials for a quick stop. It's be touchless express market. There will be there will be due diligence to pay attention to the guidelines the CDC provided. They will do safety measures like temperature check for employees, all that kind of stuff. So they're taking care of their employees, they're taking care of their customers. But let's go back to this online store, which you can't order, you can see what they have. Um they have pretty much everything you find in that store, which is great. Mm-hmm. Like, which like everything from the sardines, they're broken up by category, jams and spreads. There's gluten free, frozens, the flowers and grains. You can get the pizza dough they're known for. Um, they even have apparel accessories. Even I was thinking about getting a pasta maker. I can order a pasta maker from them because I want to like. I don't know why am I all on this baking tip, pasta flour tip lately, but. I can get a, a pasta maker. Are you talking like uh, a manual re- one or one that's a manual? I'm old school. Come on. Like Good. I don't do that. I'm fancy. Glad. I'm glad. And my budget can't afford no. Machine yeah. Anything. No. <laughs> um, but it's cool. Um, so Glorioso is June 2nd next week. Um, looking forward to that. So they even have deli options. I'm just clicking the deli options. You can get falafel balls, everything in their deli of uh, mozzarella, different types of cheeses, they got the cheese covered for you if you, you missed Glorious's cheese. I do. Um, I love their cheese, all, actually. Oh, the, char- the charcuteries, the the all the pepperonis, pancettas, all that stuff. Glorious is doing it, and they're doing it in kind of uh, online curbside way. Even delivery, if you don't want to go out, they can deliver. I don't know what the fees are, or how that delivery works. I guess you will find out June 2nd when more details are announced. But big ups, Gloriosos. I know people miss that place a lot. Yeah. I mean, I have. Uh, next, we have uh, some sad news with some silver lining. Sort of a silver lining, I guess. Garlic Fest, the annual Garlic Fest hosted by Bray's Restaurant. They announced they're canceling their annual Garlic Fest, which was supposed to take place in a couple weeks due to the uh, COVID-19. But they're planning. I, I, I messaged them. I haven't got more details on it. They're planning to do a garlic fest rescue kits from June 19th to June 27th. So you can get your fill of garlic, bloody Mary's pork buns and other garlic delights. I'm assuming they'll announce more about what's in those kits later uh, in the coming days, but at least you can get your garlic fist fix and have your own garlic fest at home. And I can speak of kits. I can see restaurants start doing that, right? Yeah. Maybe that could be a sustainable way. Um, I mean, these whole, Kits I, like my Facebook feed is full of all these uh, yeah, healthy kits, mm-hmm. and I rather get kits from local restaurants. I can see local restaurants get into that game. Some of these restaurants get into that game. Like I know Adam Pollock of uh, Egg and Flour is not really doing kits, but he at least he's selling his pastas. So there's, I mean, I don't know if that's how sustainable that could be, but that's an. I know those kits are growing in popularity. Yeah, I know a lot of my friends buy those kits a lot from all these startups around the country i can see there's an opportunity for people to start doing hey i want a sanford kit weekly kit right but again i don't know if that's sustainable or not next we have some sad news i don't know what's going on um i'm assuming this is inevitable they're like some big restaurant closings happening in the country west alice has had three permanent closings 
in the last few days. Uh, Farmer's Wife, Crawdaddy's, and Johnny V Classic Cafe have permanently closed their doors, I'm assuming due to this pandemic, which is quite unfortunate. But they're all in West Allis, which is it's kind of sad to see that um, happen. And, and I guess it's inevitable um, how long this keeps going. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, restaurants adapting and pivoting what's going to happen next. Yeah. So it's going to be, I can see like, you know, big chefs, David Chang, right. Close his DC restaurants. And so I'm, I'm just, unfortunately, this is probably just tip of the iceberg. And, and I wish, as we said, that there would have been more, seen more help from the government to help these restaurants out to prevent this. Cause again, we said it before, they are the lifeblood of the community. Yeah. I mean, people come can, to meet, to talk. They pl- put food on the table for people. People get jobs, careers. Um, and yeah, so sorry to see these restaurants go in West Dallas. I know people love uh, Crawdaddy's and uh, the farmer's wife, uh, especially. So Next, uh, Faith Fair which is a big food destination for Wisconsinites officially announced on their Facebook page that they are canceling the 2020 Wisconsin state fair. Um, Just to read the statement from them, the Wisconsin state fair is so much more than just a fair. It is a tradition. It is a celebration. It's the showcase of everything we are so proud of in Wisconsin. This is why our hearts are heavy as we bring you this news, for the safety of our fairgoers, staff, vendors, entertainer, entertainers, exhibitors, sponsors, suppliers, affects a lot of people. And the broader community, the yeah. 2020 Wisconsin State Fair has been canceled. Enough the sad news. Let's, uh, let's close out with some uh, good stuff, like our cookbook of the week. What is your cookbook of the week, yeah. Anne? Okay, my cookbook of the week is The Food Lab by J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. It's, an, it's, it's definitely a book that gets into the science of cooking. Um, so, for instance, let's say you want, you know, the, to make sort of the perfect mac and mm. cheese. Um, or it's, uh, the, a, a, you know, a, a steak with the, like, perfect seared crust on it. Um, or, you know... Um, uh, let's say you want a spatchcock at mm. chicken, right? I mean, this is a book that you go to where you kind of learn the how and why of, of these really classic, classic dishes. Um, and I, I've been reading um, Kenji Lopez's, Lopez Alt's uh, column in Serious Eats for a really long time. I mean, he's, I think he's like the, culinary director or something at serious mm-hmm. eat serious eats but he also has that column called the food lab which is where this book came from um and he, he just he has this way of like combining stories and um you know step-by-step instructions in a way that are that is entertaining and also incredibly informative um so you really learn from this um so I don't know. I just, I love this book because it's a, it's the kind of book that I, I don't just go into it thinking, okay, I'm going to make that right now. No, I want to read this and learn this and um, come back to it. So it's actually a book that is, is so I think important and useful beyond the recipe itself, but just um, 
learning the how and why of cooking. Cool. Do you have this book, Tariq? I have uh, another one of his books, I think. I don't think I have that one. No, okay. I do. I have it as a uh, on my iPad. I, but I have some digital cookbooks. I have. I forgot. I have a whole I have a whole slew oh, of cookbooks okay. on the iPad. Actually, um, I got a deal on Amazon to buy a bunch of books. So it was a while ago. Okay. Anyway, well, it's a it's a great book, and uh, I think it it it's really really helpful for home cooks too because there's just so much um, so much info to 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 garner from it. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's one that I, um, am having fun with, uh, rediscovering cool. this week. My book, is, my book is you? a book that I, uh, was loaned to and I'm not giving back <laughs> from a friend. It's a book called Koreatown, <laughs> uh, from Dookie Han and Matt Robert. Um, it's basically a book looking at the stories around different Korean towns, neighborhoods across the country. So he collected different recipes and the stories from Korean towns from all over the country, which is really cool. A lot of people don't realize there's kind of these K town neighborhoods scattered through the country, even in Montgomery, Alabama, where my folks are from. Um, but Dookie Hong, which is a great, an amazing chef writer, um, book is broken down by dishes kind of how most books are it's from drinks to side dishes to so you can get some traditional korean dishes or you can get some really interesting unique dishes or not traditional like a crispy tofu sandwich with uh pickles and grape jelly uh dojang dressing right it looks Ooh. really good actually I'm not a tofu fan or you get some south by south korea cornmeal and shrimp pajon which is a korean pancake but instead of flour they use cornmeal in this one and the batter so, um, so there's variations of stuff in here, but they also there's some traditional dishes like spicy seafood noodle soup, buckwheat noodles. So if you're a big fan of Korean food, this is a really great book. Plus it tells you stories about, uh, other places around the country that he visited. Uh, it's really beautiful. Um, there's even a section about Korean barbecue. So if you're into that, there's all like how to make galbi, um, and people make it differently. Like my best friend, who uh, I'm a godfather's daughter uses uh, their family uses Coke in the marinade, right? Oh, Coca Cola. Yeah. Or the Coca Cola or Sprite. I can't remember one of the two. So it's a really good book if you're a fan of Korean food. Um, so Koreatown is my pick of the week. Cool. And finally, we're going to talk about the, um, the James Beard Awards, uh, which is rescheduled. The main one, the Chef Awards, rescheduled for later in the year to announce the winners for that one, but they did announce the winners for their media awards, which include books and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. I thought I can like highlight some of them for y'all out there. Uh, the American cookbook, which I actually bought for my mom's birthday. I don't even have this book. My mom has this book. So it means I have to go get this book for myself. Uh, Tony Tipton Martin, who's a friend of mine. I met her, talked to her a few times. Really great person. She won for her book, Jubilee recipes from two centuries of African American cooking. I know you love this one, Anne, for baking the desserts category. Living Bread, Traditional Innovations and Artisan Bread Making, one. I don't have that book, but I'm very intrigued by it. Um, I want to I check it out. And then there's Beverage with Recipes, the Nomad Cocktail Book. Mm -hmm. um, other things that pop up, International Cookbook was an uh, Ethiopian cookbook called Ethiopia Recipes and Traditions from the Horn of Africa. Uh, then the uh, restaurant and professional book, the whole fish cookbook, new ways to cook, eat, and think. 
And I think that also won Book of the Year yeah, as did. well. So I'm a big fish fan. I like to figure out, like, I want to get more knowledgeable on the fish out there. I can cook and the ways to prepare it other than, you know, bake, fried, and broiled. Um, uh, on the audio side, audio reporting, my favorite podcast, Gravy, one for the episode, Mahalia Jackson's Glory Fried Chicken. Great episode, great podcast. Definitely check out Gravy. I'm such a huge fan of my Southern heritage, and this is a podcast that really talks about the Southern food ways and variety of ways and discussions about really interesting things. It's really a cool podcast. Definitely worth checking out. Outstanding personality hosts uh, for Broken Bread, Roy Choi. It's best known for the kind of bringing the food truck trend with his Korean taco truck in LA. Uh, probably over 10 years now. Chef's Table, one for Netflix, visual audio technical es- excellence. Also Netflix, Netflix, pick up some words here. Rotten, I never saw that one. Rotten, the Avocado Row. Uh, your, your sister magazine, I guess you call, I call your sister magazine, uh, uh, a lady, um, let me find that again. Minneapolis St. Paul, that's our sister magazine? Well, the city magazine, right? I don't know. Yeah. I call it a sister magazine. Okay. Your well. next door, right? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, Dara Moskowitz from Doll. Yeah, she won. She went for several pieces. Award, yeah. The Jonathan Gold Local Voice Award. Yep. She's a great writer. She really is. Yeah, so those are some of the awards. We'll post a link to if you want to check out some of the stuff. If you need some new reading or something new listening, definitely check this out. Um, really cool stuff. So big ups to the winners of the James Beard Media Awards. That wraps about uh, this week's edition of This Bites. This Bites is edited by Kenny Perez. Handcrafted sonic inspiration comes from the License Lab with support from Society Insurance and your membership. Subscribe to this podcast at RadioMilwaukee.org slash This Bites or on iTunes, Spotify, NPR, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Remember, feedback's important, so please rate and review. And as always, Anne, you stay hungry. And keep the malort cold.